Hi, friends. This is Pastor Dan Jackson. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Jacobswell Church. My hope and prayer is that this message will be a blessing to you and lead you into worshiping and enjoying our great and gracious God. With that said, let me encourage you to use this message as a supplement to and not a replacement of a local church. Christ did not establish his church simply for us to consume messages, but so that we could be intimately invested in each other's lives as an authentic covenant community. Again, thank you for listening. And if you want more information about Jacobswell Church, please visit our website at www.jacobswellgb.org. Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. Here it comes. Wait for it. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you. Just as an observation, you all read that a lot louder when you're standing, just so you know. Or maybe maybe I'm just more enthusiastic than I I realize. But uh, we're going to be this morning in 1 Corinthians 15. We're going to be looking at the phrase, on the third day, he rose again from the dead. And we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 15, and and we'll go ahead and uh, put up some page numbers uh, there for you. And if you don't have a Bible, there's a red Bible should be in front of you. Uh, And please take that as a gift from Jacobswell Church and read it. Uh, But you'll find the page number for that red Bible right there. As we consider on the third day, we look to this passage that, that you've probably heard before, Uh, if you've been around church for a little while. But I think it's a fundamental passage, uh, and it's a passage where Paul is trying to make very clear in our minds what is the gospel and what's so good about the resurrection. And so we'll look now to God's word that we find in 1 Corinthians 15, and I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 11, 1 through 11. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles." Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me. 
For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believe. Grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever and ever. Would you pray with me? Father, uh, we pray, Lord, that you would grant us grace by your spirit to understand. Lord, I pray that for those who this may be familiar or, or old hat, Lord, I pray that your spirit would, would illuminate anew these words. Lord, I pray that the words that, that come out of my mouth would be pleasing to you, Lord, but they, they would be acceptable to you. Lord, that you, by your spirit, would preach your word to our hearts in spite of, of me. Lord, that you would speak to us and encourage us and challenge us and remind us about what's so good about the resurrection. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. There was an atheist journalist who once said this. He said, my debunking of Christianity had to start with its bold central claim that Jesus Christ died and came back to life. He goes on and says, the Christian faith rises or falls on that claim. It's the whole ballgame. It sounds too good to be true, doesn't it? The claim that a man died and came back to life. Not only that, but the claim goes on to say that because of this, man's per this particular man's death and coming back to life, all who believe in him will live forever, have life forever in him. Sounds too good to be true, doesn't it? And for the most part, we are a people who are skeptical of anything that sounds too good to be true, aren't we? Maybe you've seen that post on Craigslist for that barely used two-year-old car with low miles for only $4,000. Sounds too good to be true. And that's because it is. It's a scam. Yet isn't there something inside all of us that longs, longs for whatever is too good to be true to be true? Don't we all long for a fairy tale ending? Think about it. Hollywood thinks so. Why does practically every single movie they put out end with a happy ending? Because the heart longs for it. Of course, it's no different when it comes to the Christian claim that Jesus died and came back to life, that on the third day he rose from the dead. It sounds too good to be true. And there are many in our world who would say that it is too good to be true. You could take notable atheist Richard Dawkins, who, for example, in his book, The God Delusion, says the Gospels are ancient fiction. He goes on in another place to say accounts of Jesus' resurrection and ascension are about as well documented as Jack and the Beanstalk. Or take the fact that every year around Easter, more and more documentaries, documentaries and personal interest stories about the resurrection, fill our media outlets, our newspapers. Uh, you know, there, there it is, another special. 
Why? Because the claim of the resurrection of Jesus sounds too good to be true. Maybe you're here today and you're skeptical of the resurrection of Christ. You think, no way. It, it, it is too good to be true. Could everything sad really come untrue? Maybe you're here today and you believe in the resurrection of Jesus, but you've forgotten what's so good about it. You've forgotten what it means for your everyday life that Jesus is raised from the dead. You see, in many ways, this describes the people in the church at Corinth. They had heard about a man named Jesus who was the son of God in the flesh, who was crucified unjustly for their sins, who came back to life. They had believed in this story and were beginning to reorient their lives because of it. And yet, due to the wisdom of the world, as Paul calls it in 1 Corinthians 1, the wisdom of the world that surrounded them, they were still confused. And in their confusion, they had questions. They had different understandings of what it looked like to follow Jesus. And as a result, there was division among them. One such issue they were divided over had to do with the question of the resurrection, particularly the bodily resurrection of the dead. You see, some of them had carried over this Greco-Roman belief that after you die, that's it. There's, there's no substantial afterlife, if one at all. And so they were saying, there's no resurrection, there's no bodily resurrection of the dead, that, that, that can't be. And so as a result, influenced by this wisdom of the world, influenced by, by some of these outside sources, some of the followers were living by the mantra, well, let's just eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow we're going to die. You see, friends, like the followers of Jesus in the Corinthian church who were influenced by the wisdom of the world, we too are tempted to doubt the claim and the implications of the resurrection of Christ. We too begin to waver in our understanding of the resurrection and lack confidence in the implications of it. There are times when we too begin to think or live as though it's just too good to be true. Well, it's no wonder then that Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, writes to the followers of Jesus in verse one, and he says, now I would remind you brothers and sisters, of the gospel I preached to you. Now, if you look closely at these words, gospel and preached, it's interesting, he, he's trying to really emphasize something because both of those words come from the same root word, which is good news. And so it's literally as if he, as if he said, now I would remind you, brothers and sisters, of the good news that I good newsed you. <laughs> I would remind you, brothers, of the good news that I good news to you. What do you think he's trying to get across? I think he's trying to remind the followers of Jesus what is so good about the resurrection. So then what is it? What's so good about the resurrection of Jesus? There was another man who was an atheist once named C.S. Lewis who wrote in his essay titled Miracles, he wrote this, the resurrection and its consequences were the gospel or good news which the Christians brought. You see, friends, in the first place, the resurrection of Jesus is so good because it makes the gospel good news. When you think about the gospel, 
How do you answer? Someone said, hey, what's the gospel? How are you going to answer this? Well, let's see if your answer would be similar to Paul's. He gives us a very succinct definition in verses three and four. He says, for I delivered to you that the gospel as of first importance, what I also received. So he received this and now he's delivering it to you. And he says this, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. In other words, the good news, the gospel, is that Jesus died for the sins of his followers and came back to life. And the gospel is only good news because Jesus came back to life. Without the resurrection, the gospel, is, it's not the gospel, it's not good news. How many of you, when you're driving in this morning, had your window down and you were smelling something in the air as you pulled in the parking lot? You know what that was? Strawberries. It's strawberry picking season. You, could, you, may be, you may see people out there right now if you look out there. Don't look too long because then you'll get distracted. But, but think about these strawberry fields for a minute. Maybe you look out there. Yeah, visual aid. There we go. Think about it. it, it when, I, when I come in right now, this time of year, I love driving, driving along Lineville, coming down, especially from that direction. You pass the farm down there and then you pass, and it just smells, especially on a warm morning, it smells so delicious. Have you ever asked yourself what makes the strawberry so good? I mean, is it the strawberry seed that you plant? Is it, is it the soil? Is it the water that helps it grow? Is it the sunshine that warms the soil? Maybe. These things are good, but none of them on their own makes the strawberry good. None of them makes a strawberry. On their own, none of these things are going to produce that Delicious, mouth-watering, sweet berry that's right out there waiting for you. You see, what makes the strawberry so good is how all of these things work together to produce the strawberry plant. Think about it. The seed, which is dead, is planted into the soil, which then combined with water and warmth is germinated to produce a plant and the plant comes out of the ground and is warmed by the sun and watered by the rain. And over time, it gives way to fruit. The death of the strawberry seed gives way to a newly resurrected strawberry plant. Every year this happens. The strawberry is only good because the seed gives way to resurrection life. You see, friends, the good news about Jesus is only good if Jesus is raised from the dead. Without this, the story about Jesus is not good news at all. In fact, if Jesus is not raised from the dead, then his death is merely a, a tragic story in history. Perhaps no different than the death of, of other great teachers or prophets. The gospel is good news because Jesus came back to life. Now, friends, I have to ask you, does your testimony of faith include the good news of the resurrection? I've heard so many people share about the gospel, share about their faith, and they love to talk about Christ dying for sin. Yes, that's so important. Without him dying and paying the penalty for sin, we are not forgiven 
The gospel must also include the resurrection, the fact that Jesus came back to life. For without the resurrection, the power of sin and death remains unbroken. Without the resurrection, there is no newness of life. Followers today, are you resting in this truth? Are you remembering this truth when you feel defeated? When, when, when your own sin struggles and your own brokenness gets you down, are you remembering Jesus is raised from the dead and in Christ I am raised too? See, the resurrection is so good because it makes the gospel good news. And yet there's more. There's more. See, the resurrection of Jesus is also so good because it's an historical fact. It's verifiable, reliable, and dependable. It's true. Look with me at verses four to eight, and you'll see what Paul does after he defines the gospel. He reminds the Corinthian followers of Jesus of two things. First, we see in verse four, this phrase, in accordance with the scriptures, he, he said it in verse 3 as well. You see, the fact that Jesus came back to life is a fulfillment of ancient prophecy. Now, this fact would have particularly appealed to the Jewish Christians in the church at Corinth. And there were some there. You see, they highly valued the scriptures, the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures. And they valued the prophecies of the scriptures. And for them, the truth of the resurrection of Jesus is intrinsically tied to the scriptures. Scriptures such as Psalm 16, uh, which Pastor Dan preached about last week in, in verse 10 says, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. Or scriptures like Psalm 41.10, which says, but you, O Lord, be gracious to me and raise me up What did Jesus pray when he prayed? Remember all the times he, he pulls away to pray? What's he praying? He's praying the Psalms. Did you know that? That's what he prayed. Be gracious to me. Raise me up, Lord. You see, all of this supports and validates the truth of the resurrection because it supports and validates the reliability of God's word. Think about it. Hundreds of years before Jesus walked on the earth, prophets, scribes, and even kings foretold of his coming, his death, and his resurrection. And every single one of these prophecies has been fulfilled down to the smallest detail. You see, the resurrection is so good because it truly fulfills the scriptures and gives us reliable reasons to depend on God's word. It is in accordance with the scriptures. But you'll notice the second thing that Paul wants to show. We see this in, in verses five through eight. Not only was Jesus raised from the dead, he appeared and appeared again and appeared again and appeared again, not just to one or two people on one or two occasions. Paul points out here that Jesus, the risen, resurrected, alive Jesus, bodily appeared to hundreds of people on at least six different occasions in the 40 days before he ascended, after he rose and before he ascended. You can see the list of appearances here in these verses, verses five through eight. He, he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter. Remember that first Easter Sunday? 
Then he appeared to the 12 disciples. That was the Sunday following Easter. They were all there. Remember, Thomas wasn't there the first Sunday. So the, the next Sunday, they were all back in the upper room. He appears to them. Then to more than 500 brothers and sisters at one time. Some are still even living at the time that Paul wrote this letter. You know how important that is? He's saying, just go ask them. Just go find them and ask them. They'll tell you. They saw him. He appeared then to James, the half-brother of Jesus, who did not believe until Jesus appeared to him. Then to all the apostles, including the, 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 the newly elected one that the lot fell on in Acts, the beginning of Acts. And then lastly, little old Paul, it's one untimely born, Jesus appeared. Remember the road to Damascus, the risen Christ. Paul's on his way to, to kill Christians, to, to at least to arrest them. I think he was hoping to kill them. And Jesus stops him dead in his tracks, right? You just think of the logic that, that, that is, is being used here. If no one saw Jesus after he died and came back to life, one could easily argue that it was just some story. Some, you know, a few guys said, well, yeah. Jesus, hey, Jesus came back to life. Yeah, and then he ascended, and we'll just tell everyone about this. It'll be great. We'll be famous. But what do you do if Jesus appeared to hundreds of people on at least six different occasions, and on one of those occasions, five, at least 500 people at one time? What do you do with that? What do you also do, just as a side note, with the fact that all of the disciples were killed because they would not give up the claim that Jesus rose from the dead. See, for those of you who, who might doubt if the resurrection of Jesus really took place, how do you respond to this? Now, maybe the claims of the Bible are not enough for you. Okay, well then let's look at the history books. There was a, a historian, a non-Christian historian named Josephus who wrote, his published uh, account, historical account of the Jews in 93 AD, which is only about 60 years after the death and resurrection of Christ. And in his work titled Jewish Antiquities, while discussing this period of time when the Jews of Judea were governed by Pontius Pilate, which is the late 20s, early 30s of the first century, Josephus writes this. This man is not a believer. Listen to what he writes about what he learned as he was recording history. About this time there lived Jesus, a wise man, if indeed one ought to call him a man. For he was one who performed surprising deeds and was a teacher of such people as accept the truth gladly. He won over many Jews and many of the Greeks. He was the Messiah. And when upon the accusation of the principal men among us, Pilate had condemned him to a cross... Those who had first come to love him did not cease. So he's just talked about Jesus, performed signs and miracles. He had followers who accepted everything he said and, and loved him. And even after he died, their love did not cease. And then he goes on and says, Jesus appeared to them, spending a third day restored to life. For the prophets of God had foretold these things in accordance with the scriptures. A and a thousand other marvels about him, the scriptures also spoke about. The last point that 
Josephus makes. And the tribe of the Christians, so-called after him, has still to this day not disappeared. Friends, that was the first century. Where are we now? 2,000 years later. You see, not only does the Bible attest to the truth of the resurrection, the history books do as well. And while Richard Dawkins and, and others may wish to rewrite history as ancient fiction, that is exactly what they're doing. They're rewriting history. And I have to ask you, what are you going to do with such verifiable, reliable, and dependable evidence? There's a friend of mine who, when she was in college, she heard those three words that no one ever wants to hear. You've got cancer. You see, she had a tiny little bump on her finger. Just, I mean, yay, hardly there. And yet, although it wasn't painful, it was there and it was sort of concerning. Well, what is this little bump? I guess I'll go have it checked out. And so several doctor's visits later, the prognosis was in. You've got cancer. It's a very rare, progressive, aggressive type of cancer. We actually only know of eight other people in the world who have this same kind of cancer. We don't know much about it, but what we do know is that it will probably kill you if you don't treat it. And the only treatment is you got to amputate. Now, throughout this whole process of having these tests and waiting on results, my friend was able to meet one of the other eight people in the world who had this same form of rare cancer. And Although hers, my friend, was, had a bump, this other woman had a, a, a bump on her arm. And both were facing the same difficult decision. Would they trust the doctors or would they take their chances? Would they trust the verifiable, reliable, and dependable information from the experts or are they going to trust their own judgment? Well, you'll be pleased to know my friend is, is now married. She's a missionary, her and her husband serving in Scotland. They have three children, and she's cancer-free, although she's one finger short. The other woman, she kept her arm, but it ended up killing her. Friends, the resurrection of Jesus is an historical fact, and you have a choice to make. Will you trust the verifiable, reliable, and dependable information? Or are you going to take your chances? Make, make no mistake about it. You cannot remain neutral about the matter. You have only two choices. You can either believe Jesus rose from the dead or not. But know this. How you respond to the resurrection of Jesus, the bodily resurrection of Christ, is a matter of life and death. In fact, Paul reminds the followers of Jesus that they are saved by the good news of the resurrection. We see this back in verses 1 and 2. He says, I would remind you of the gospel I preached, which you received, and which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast. To the word. You see, friends, what's so good about the resurrection of Jesus is that it saves. It saves those who hold fast to the good news about Christ. You see, apart from the resurrection of Jesus, there is no hope for a happy ending. There is no hope for everlasting life. There is no hope for freedom from the power of sin. We just heard about the power of sin, didn't we? 
There's no hope for freedom from that without the resurrection. There's no hope for all the sad things in this world to come untrue. Let us remember Jesus, who himself said to a grieving sister, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. There is hope because of the resurrection of Jesus. There is hope because Jesus is the resurrection. So now Paul reminds the followers of Jesus that this promise of life is for those who trust the gospel that he preached, those who stand in it, he says, and hold fast to it. Now if you're like me, when you read that part, okay, which you received, in which you stand, verse 2, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preach to you, otherwise you believed in vain. Uh-oh, we've got a problem, right? I don't know about you, but my faith fails. I don't know about you, but I waver in believing that I am made new in Christ. I don't know about you, but there are times when the sin struggles in my life overcome me. And I sin in my anger. And I speak harshly to my bride. <laughs> and I have thoughts in my head that, that I know are not pleasing to the Lord. I have not held fast to the word. What happens? Does that mean I won't be saved? You see, friends, the reality is because of our sin, there are times when we will fail when even our faith itself will fail. And in these times, let us look to the gospel. Let us look to the resurrection, but let us also look to what took place right before the resurrection. Jesus died for our sins. Jesus died for our unbelief. He died to take the punishment for our unbelief. Jesus died because the faith of his people fails. And then he came back to life to guarantee salvation for all who believe and follow Jesus. And even the ability to believe, Paul tells us in Ephesians 2, is a gift of God. You see what this means is that you are accepted, you are loved, you are forgiven by God, not because you're good at holding fast, but because Christ died and came back to life. And all that the Father gives to Jesus will come to Jesus. And whoever comes to Jesus, he's never going to cast you out. You don't have to be good at holding fast to him. He's really good at holding fast to you. Isn't this good news? This afternoon, you see I have a jacket on. I'm going to officiate a funeral for a man uh, who in his last months on earth experienced great suffering due to cancer. 
And these last months, he, he, he came to the brink of death more than once. I imagine due to the pain and, and suffering, he probably wished to go home and be with the Lord sooner than later. And yet God kept him on this earth until just two weeks ago. This past week, as I was visiting with his family, I learned how he spent his last moments on earth before he died. You see, with his last breaths, as the doctor was coming to check on him, he had one concern on his mind. Do you believe in Jesus? With his last breaths, he was sharing the gospel with his doctor, not once, but actually twice through that night. Wanted to make sure he got the message. The next day after he died, the family came to the hospital to hear the report from the doctor. But what they heard instead was a man who was eager to know, what do I do with this? I want to receive this. I want to believe this. I want to change my life because of what this dying man told me last night. And that very day, this doctor committed his life to Christ because a dying man on his deathbed said, do you believe in Jesus? Why was this dying man spending his last moments on earth in that way? Why wasn't he clinging on to the things of this world and saying, oh, oh, this is it for me? Why wasn't he grieving and saying, oh, oh, I'm, uh, oh this is terrible? Because he believes in the resurrection of Jesus. And I say this in the present tense because he believes in the resurrection of Jesus right now. On the other side, of eternity because he's in the presence of God because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. See, what's so good about the resurrection? It makes the gospel good. It's an historical fact and it saves. You see, the resurrection of Jesus is so good, not because it's too good to be true. It's so good because it is true. Won't you believe? Won't you rest in this today? Would you pray with me? Father, we, we pray, Lord, as the man cried out, we believe, but help us in our unbelief. Lord, I pray for those today who might be here who, who just can't get over a, a sense of, of skepticism about this. Maybe it's suspicion. I don't know if this could really be true. Maybe it's cynicism because of hurt. Lord, I ask, would you break these walls down? Would you remind that it is true and that it is so good? Father, we thank you that we, like Paul, can cry out, but for the grace of God, I am what I am. We love you and we praise you for coming and dying and coming back to life and appearing over and over and over again so that we today might have reason to believe. Help us in our unbelief.
for the glory of Christ's name. Amen.